Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. We all know that one guy that eats worms for money, but in the future, what if I told you you would pay money to eat worms? We're going to be talking about alternative food solutions. So Mike, how are you and what are you drinking? I'm doing pretty good. Got a Manhattan in my hand and talking to a good buddy. And we're going down a rabbit hole, Nick, like you said, of new food sources for the future, which is right around the corner. We talked about an overpopulation, how our population is growing and we need to feed all these people. And hopefully this will answer a lot of questions. But Nick, I got to ask, were you that kid who would eat worms if he got dared? No, I uh, I never ate bugs. I I did eat a few different leaves, but that's about it. <laughs> that that explains a lot right there. It's just salad that comes from nature. I don't see what the big deal is. Oh, uh, I can just see you picking off like uh, poison ivy, going, "Look, Dad, I'm e- I'm eating salad." No, but I too was not a kid on the playground who was eating worms. I feel like that's more of a middle or younger child aspect. Probably probably a middle child thing. But you brought it up, Nick, with the insects, and I want to stay on that topic point. Insects might be the way to feed the ever-growing population of the world and might be the future feud, like crickets. Crickets are a great example. Crickets, for to make one kilogram of cricket meat, you need about 1.7 kilograms for food for the crickets. While for a cow, for every one kilogram, you need about 10 kilograms. So a 1 to 2 ratio versus 1 to 10 ratio, it's a lot easier to maintain. Yeah, so I actually saw that uh, crickets and, and poultry both required the same inputs for, for food, at least, in uh, in Thailand. There's a study done in Thailand comparing crickets and poultry, and they both required about two two times as much food for the amount of protein you get out of them. So I wasn't as impressed by that. But this isn't the first time I've heard about insects being food. Um, I took a forest entomology class in college, and entomology is insects. And uh, all entomologists are weird. So we're just going to get that out of the way. But my teacher is actually, he's a really good teacher. And he did bring uh, bring in ins- or crickets for people to eat. And he brought in like cricket flour cookies or something. So I, I had some of the cookies, but I didn't, I, I didn't have the balls to eat the, the like flavored crickets. And um, yeah, and I, and the thing that I think we need to talk about is it's really not that uncommon for people to eat insects. In the United States, it is. Yeah, Nick, you nail on the head right there. Over 2 billion people already eat insects in the world. Just the North America and Europe, for some reason, struggle with the idea of eating insects. And I'm, I'm very happy you brought up that point. And this is my guess on why we don't eat bugs here is because we come from European culture it's pretty cold there a lot of the places where they eat insects it's a lot more tropical you have a lot more diversity of insects you probably couldn't sustain people on the amount of insects alive in europe so places that have a huge insect population it might make more sense in mexico it's not uncommon to have uh, like people to eat crickets 
and have cricket flour tortillas. Um, it's, it's like a bar snack down there, flavored crickets. I completely agree with you, Nick. Location, location, location. Uh, I think a lot for North America is, again, because of European heritage. I think for Europe, it's just where that location of the landmass is, where it was great for cows, pig, uh, pigs, not uh, other countries are as well, but you have with the tropics, more forestry where it's hard, less grazeland. With like your sheeps are more of a struggle, your goats have more of a struggle. And just to add on to lots of diversity for insects, currently there's over 2,000 known edible insects in the world. So everything from beetles to types of wasps to crickets, but crickets and wasps are one different thing. I don't imagine a lot of people want to try to farm wasps. I feel like that's a nightmare <laughs> in itself. Yeah, that di- okay, that is true. But did you know that mur- oh gosh, murder hornets are a delicacy in Japan? That doesn't surprise me for some reason, but just because it's a delicacy doesn't mean it's a good thing. Supposedly, it tastes really good. So part of me is almost like, did they bring those over on purpose? <laughs> Nick, I'll stick my hand in bullet ant gloves, but I'm not going to eat a killer bee or a killer wasp. I, I don't blame you. So a little background on insects, like Mike mentioned it a little bit. Insects, there's, uh, if you look at the earth from a total tonnage of organic matter primary organic matter on the earth is going to be plants right and then after that insects and then a small fraction of that that's when you get into like mammals and birds and stuff like that just think of it as like a food web right the primary producers plants each time that organic matter is turned into something else you lose a percentage of it so with insects they're eating that primary producer so it doesn't you know, it doesn't go up as far. You don't get as much loss when you're eating like a, a tertiary predator, like an apex predator or something like that, which is why they're more efficient because you're not, you know, they don't need as much to survive. They don't need as much. They don't consume as much to, for what they get. They're also cold-blooded, so they don't waste energy with from inputs of feed to heat their bodies, which is where a lot of matter is lost growing uh cattle and poultry and and this isn't a anti-cattle or poultry podcast we're just talking about alternatives to stuff that's out there not that we need to change we're all going to die i'm a if we want to compare the two yeah if we're going to compare the two we'll do it differently we're just saying these are things that are out here and uh not trying to shit on anyone's anyone farming or ranching so you can uh no if i can jump in here real quick because i want to point out i I thought that was so interesting with the cold-blooded warm-blooded i never thought about that where they're not using their energy to stay warm they're simply using the sun to keep them warm being cold-blooded so they can just solely focus on growing and that's why they have such a quick growth rate and uh reproduction rate sorry that to me was so. I never thought about that point till researching. I came across the same thing. Yeah, and uh, they can have. Hold on, I have it right here. Of how many times they reproduce? Reproduce eight and a half times a year. Crickets can. That's it. Well, that's how much they currently reproduce in the the study that was done in uh, northeastern Thailand. Interesting. I wonder. If, I I imagine it's so for different crickets have different breeding. Uh, time periods but i thought it'd be i feel like it would be every two weeks because we've all we've all dealt with it where there's a bunch of ants or something like that no matter how many kill it seems like there's a thousand more but maybe we can use that for our advantage nick for farming one of the things that as we talk kind of about like how crickets are grown oh yes do you want to take lead on that or do you want me to um i'll say what i know and if there's something i missed hop in 
Um, so it's it doesn't require a lot of room. It's essentially just like crates. And in those crates, you have something kind of like egg cartons or some kind of medium that the crickets live in. And then you add food and a little bit of water because they don't require as much water if you give them fruit like um uh, or vegetables pumpkins is a good source of food for them they can get pretty much all their water and everything from that one ingredient and a varied diet i'm sure would be beneficial just like it is in everything and then when they're ready to mate when they reach maturity they start making noise and that's when you know their time to go so you pick up their crate and empty and turn it over and they all fall out and that's pretty much how it goes and some of them have lights um you know to keep them warm because as like we said they're cold-blooded so if they're cold they're not going to grow as fast if they but if they're kept warm they can grow faster so if it's uh lives in a colder area it'd pay to keep them warm i think we saw a very similar video when doing research on this and if i can add on to it that temperature controlled environment means crickets can now be farmed where there's maybe not a lot of farmland you could have vertical farming with crickets now, when Nick was saying these cartons, uh, not cartons, these containers, these containers can be stacked on top of each other. So you can have maybe three three cartons for a nine foot tall room, like on top of each other, and you can do row after row after row. So it's highly efficient in space, which is huge. Now, what the other benefit with crickets is, or insects in general, they're really easy to freeze. So if you want to store the food, it's easy to do that. We've all dealt with either freezer burn or something when we're throwing meat into a freezer. And for those who have um, hunted or prepped their own food, storing your food, pickling your food, doing whatever you can to, to help elongate its life is hard. But with insects, that makes that process way way easier and to add on to what nick said with uh again with the temperature control we can use areas say like a desert to have a natural warmer climate all we have to do is bring in say water but they don't need as much water as cattle or sheep or chickens and they need less vegetables so we can bring in more vegetables and stuff like that we don't need to have giant planes for animals to graze and space i keep bringing that up is huge i know for i think it's chickens or rabbits if you're going to individually own uh as a individual have a rabbit not farm but cattle i guess rabbit livestock i think it has to be a five square meter area for every one rabbit with crickets is it is it rabbit ranching (laughs) <laughs> it's always rabbit season uh <laughs> with uh crickets it's it, they can just stack on top of each other because insects are always hopping over each other so you can have maybe a hundred in these containers and i imagine the science is just gonna get more and more dialed in it's a real possibility again over 200 over 2 billion people already eat insects they've come up with recipes even there's tons of recipe books you can buy on how to cook certain insects or certain recipes which again is coming i really think it is coming and nick i'm not sure if you came across this but like cricket protein bars simply not making cricket snacks but grinding up the insects to make them protein bars ish or like a mixture for substitute like um a lot of people might be familiar with whey powder which is a muscle supplement which is supposed to be beneficial for working out they're also doing it with crickets because it's high in protein weighs high in protein so it's not just food it can get in different parts of your life yeah and um like i said with with cricket flour i think is going to be the big one because i don't think any american wants to eat just 
straight up crickets. I'll be honest. I did not know cricket flour was a thing until researching this. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it's essentially just like protein powder, like a like a flour, like a oh man, what is that? My wife buys it. The one that um, it's like a pancake powder. But it's got like whey protein in it. it. It's really what cricket flour is, right? It's just regular flour with some added protein, insect protein from the crickets. So some of them are all crickets. Some you can get like percentages, and I could see that you know being as added as a substitute. And I really couldn't come across. I, I looked at a few different life cycle analysis of um, of crickets and uh, of American wheat or. or of hard red winter wheat out of montana this one and they're pretty close for emissions wise like so i guess my my what i was trying to figure out is is it on a pure emission standpoint is it easy is it uh more efficient to grow wheat or insects and it's kind of hard to compare because you don't exactly get like a bushel of uh of crickets i don't know how you you measure that and then also i don't know how many crickets go into making how much like whatever but it it turns out neither of them are really like emission producers just because how much wheat is harvested that you know it spreads out over that good acreage so it wasn't like one really destroyed the other from what i could tell agreed uh this is this is kind of um it's not unfamiliar territory but it's definitely still fresh territory there was a few food craze for insects a few years back it's still going on today at least not the craze in european and american countries but nick i i do have one major problem with cricket ranching as you like to say or just insect farming in general and that would be your favorite nick invasive species yeah i mean yeah let's talk about that i'm worried with insect farming of escaping insects and possibly decimating other farms nearby or simply quite literally releasing a plague of locusts on the area that they're operating in it's a real possibility for some it's a lot easier to keep track of a few big things than a million small things and it's the same with insects you would you at nick let me just ask you this question. Would you rather watch 10 cattle or would you rather watch 10 million insects? Oh, yeah. I'd uh, not, not do the insect one. I'm already working in the woods. I'm surrounded by 10 million insects, so not about that. I'm not a big insect. Like, I'm going to entertain the idea of insect farming, but I'm not a big insect guy. <laughs> I... I guess I still have that bias in me. I'm the same way. I I guess I like my more quote-unquote traditional meats, such as chicken, beef, fish, et cetera, et cetera. That's a real concern to me because with I can see someone mishandling a, I don't want to pick on just cricket farmers, a beetle farmer, and all those beetles somehow get loose in New York City. That's, that's game over. Like, that's restaurants being affected, people having beetles going into their home. That's that's not just letting, like, a couple chickens loose. That's, that's leading a quite literally a plague upon your city. So that's my only big major concern on it. But overall, it seems quite beneficial for humanity. Yeah, and this, is, I, this isn't a concern of mine, but I do think it's funny how people reinvent the wheel, right? So this, and insects are a solution to a lot of people's problems with quote-unquote modern agriculture and their solution is a, a calf to a concentrated animal feed area piling 
and in organisms on top of each other so that we can feed them in an efficient and harvest them in an efficient manner facing a lot of legislative battles for, at least for cattle and poultry but it's it's like now it's okay because it's insects and i like I said, I don't have a problem with it personally, but you got to look at what you're doing. And uh, if you're one of those people who has a problem with doing that to cattle or poultry, I, I'm i sure you can make an argument that it's different for insects. Like, Oh, there's always an argument if you're clever enough. Yeah. And part of the argument is that, well, in, like you said, insects grow on top of each other. But the American, oh, what is it called? Like door cricket or, or house, house cricket, American house cricket. That's one of the ones that's commonly grown for for food or coming to cricket flower in the wild. They kill, they behead opposing male crickets. So that doesn't, to me, seem like an animal that's like okay with the <laughs> being in cramped quarters. But that could just be me. Nature is metal. No, I I think it's I'm I'm going to bring this up quite often throughout the podcast. But breeding programs to help pick those crickets or whether animal or we're talking about of being less ag- the less aggressive ones and keeping that genome going on. I mean, that's how we got cows to be somewhat docile. Granted, a cow will still very easily mess you up. But with, say, crickets, beetles, butterflies, whatever you're farming, well, one, I don't think it should be a flying insect. I think that's very dangerous to have a flying insect farming. It's one less thing of control. Uh, but, well, actually, it might not be. Maybe if you have a closed-off container, they can fly around and get whatever food they need. Maybe it'd be less easier to feed. I don't know. But I see insect farming being more useful in Europe or any major city where it's crowded and you have to ship in food. Here in America, we are very lucky and won the lottery with how much land we have, especially per person. So I don't really see us or needing to switch from traditional methods. Granted, I still think we should maybe lean off beef a little bit based on greenhouse emissions, but definitely have alternatives just just for the menu's sake and taste sake. But I definitely see this being more implemented in Europe just solely because how cramped and how many people there are in those different countries yeah and um something i wanted to bring up is uh like we talked about these crickets are on top of one another and just like we talked about in the uh, wildfire when you have a lot of organisms in an environment that and they don't have space disease can spread which is what happened in 2008 in europe in 2010 in the united states the cricket paralysis virus came through and wiped out a lot of those house crickets that we have in the u.s at the time most of these crickets were grown for like uh if you have a snake or a frog or something that they would eat those crickets and that so they weren't grown for human consumption but it did wipe out a lot of those because they live on top of each other like we said and as we all know about because we're all experts in how viruses spread, that's not really good. Yeah, especially probably because all those crickets are most likely coming from very similar gene lines because once you get a few crickets, you could probably want to breed them to expand out. You know, So they're going to have similar genetics. So that means they're all susceptible to the same viruses or bacterias or fungi, whatever affects them. It's definitely a dual-edged sword, but who knows? Maybe, maybe Nick, one day when we're old men, we'll be sitting on a porch smoking cigars Drinking whiskey and snacking on crickets. Wouldn't that be a weird sight? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of uh, of the crickets, but we'll see. I'd try them. I don't know if they'd make a regular thing, though. I think the biggest thing for me personally is simply the crunch. For some reason, I don't want my protein, my meat, to be 
crunchy. I don't know why. I don't. I don't want it to be. Uh, yeah, well, crunchy too. But like the the gooey inside. That's not what I'm about. That's why. That's why I was hoping they would just kind of grind them up and make them into like protein powder. So it's like a quite literally a powder. I think that's the most beneficial way to get European and Americans over that hurdle of eating insects and maybe start slowing transition. Because, yeah, I'm I'm with you, Nick. I forgot about the gooey inside. That When I think gooey, I think, like, spoiled chicken. And that's, like, salmonella disease. So it's very negative in my mind. Yeah. Oh, so I have two questions um, before we move on for crickets and I have a good transition. But um, are insects kosher? I don't know if you—did you run across that? No, I did not. But now I'm more interested than I was. Okay. I, just Just curious— and then when you think of an insect, what is it about insects that we don't like? That they're small, that they have rough exoskeletons and squishy on the inside, that we can't always remove like the digestive system. You can't gut a cricket like you can gut a fish. You know, they eat their bottom feeders. Um, for me, I think it would be, well, yeah, bottom feeders is a good one. Uh, one is kind of selfish is no matter how many I kill, there are trillions more right around the corner. I don't like that. If I kill a thousand of something, it should take a big dent in the population. I don't like it when it doesn't do that. And the second thing is, I don't care if insects are outside, but if they're inside, they always seem to try to get in your face. They always try to bite you. Spiders, mosquitoes, wasps, ants, they're always a nuisance. They're pests, I guess is the best way to say it. And they just are similar to rats and mice in my mind of, diseases, uh, annoying little creatures, but done properly, maybe some chocolate-covered crickets. Okay, so maybe not the last one about getting in your face, but for the most part, bottom feeders, tough exterior, there are thousands of them. You can kill a thousand, there's still a ton more. What's really the difference between crickets or cockroaches and shrimp? That's a good question. Uh, Cockroaches tend to be when things are diseases and nasty. Crickets have the benefits that if you could be a grass plain and healthy environment and crickets will be there, so they have that benefit. But when I think cockroaches, I think something's dead, something's rotting, trash. I don't think, I've, I've never seen a cockroach hopping through a meadow, I'll, I'll say that much. No, and I, I'm sure, I don't know if you've seen a bunch, but I've probably seen more cockroaches in Texas than I have anywhere else in the country. I have yet to see one cockroach living in Texas, and I've lived here almost a year now. So you haven't gone to see a Rangers game yet, it sounds like. <laughs> that is fair. I've actually seen more cockroaches in Chicago than I have in Texas, which is really weird. Yeah, well, that's I. you haven't been out much because of COVID. I've, I've seen more cockroaches down in Texas than anywhere else, but I also went to see a baseball game. So Don't, don't tell me this. I left my flamethrower up north. <laughs> Well, you might might need it soon. Oh, I think that's actually probably my biggest reason of why I don't like insects is I can if I grab my flamethrower and I just spin around in circles and eliminate millions of them. There are trillions more just over the bend. I something I don't like that. I really don't like that. So another thing that was that I saw brought up is that quote unquote Americans are already used to eating insects because again not my words just arguments that I've seen because of our dirty modern agriculture we can there's insects in our food such as aphids in our wheat and stuff like that and my response to that is uh yeah you guys know most of our food is grown outside right like that's where insects are do you know how small aphids are you can't just not 
have, you know, partial pieces of insect in her food and it's funny the more i the more time i spend inside right the less i'm okay with it but if i'm out in the woods for like a week eating eating like you know breakfast in the truck and then i eating lunch out in the woods in the rain or something and like a fly hops on my food it's like whatever or whatever something like crawls over my food i really don't care but as soon as i come back inside and i there's a roof over my head i was like oh man did that fly just like touch my food there's some (laughs) there's a switch somewhere and I get it. I have it too. Like I'm saying, I'm not immune to it. I've never really thought about that. And I really hope there's a psychology study on that because I'd be really interested in reading that. And Nick, in case you didn't know, I don't want to brand name because I like their brand. Uh, gooey treats that have like figs in them. Oh, okay. Would Okay, hypothetical question. If I was a NASCAR driver, would I put a big sticker of this brand across my windshield? One might do that if they were... Okay. Uh, wanting to but that crunch you get in certain sweets that like especially figs that crunch is dead wasps because wasps tend to burrow into the figs and die there so that crunch you're getting is actual actual skeleton now and also with chocolate bars there's lots like spider legs and insect like spiders and chocolate bars probably just here in america european america has the worst chocolate ever i'll say here and i'll say it proudly other countries have much better chocolate they use like real cocoa and sugar that's another topic for another story but we already eat we're we're too busy using cocoa for cocaine Mike. So <laughs> that's your problem uh one's white here, one's here in oregon <laughs> <laughs> well we've already Americans have already been used to eating insects. We just don't know about it. I'm okay eating insects if I don't know about it. Does that make sense? Simply being ignorant is bliss sometimes. No, yeah, I completely agree. I'm not, <laughs> like I said, you know, if I'm outside, I'll eat an insect. But you know, if there's ants on my sandwich, I'm still going to eat it. But if I bring that same meal inside and like you know it might be because i have food inside that doesn't have insects on it but yeah i don't actually want to seek out insects and uh and to eat specifically and like maybe i'd maybe try it just to say i did but i don't know if like i had the opportunity in college my uh stephen cook is my professor's name great teacher he brought in the insects and there was like you know basically all the same flavors as potato chips you had salt and vinegar barbecue whatever ranch i don't i don't remember exactly but you put them all put them out on plate and they're just they're crickets they're just crickets with spice on the outside of them it's like fuck it's so weird how the human mind works yeah yep but i and not so hot so no i didn't need them but but they are efficient and they can be grown in areas where a lot of stuff can't you don't really as far as an agricultural product that probably needs the least input out of any i mean even cattle where you can graze in the middle of fucking nowhere uh, and they can live off of plants no one else can survive off of you can just put a bunch of crickets there and you know you have to bring them food but it might be better more in like a not an urban environment just because of how much you'd have to pay for the area but maybe like a suburbs uh industrial park where you can have a big space and then you can get like all the um organic matter thrown out from uh, restaurants and stuff might be oh that'd be very smart and that way you're not paying for your inputs you might have to substitute you know and, and that's a thing it, it is still new like for most agricultural crops you can figure out you can do like a tissue sample or something and figure out oh okay you know this whatever this corn is mi- missing like one of one or two like micronutrients or oh man we have a serious nitrogen problem we don't 
we can't i don't know how the i haven't seen anything about anything like that with insects so i don't know exactly what their diet needs are it's from what it seems like people pretty much just feed them fruit and vegetables and occasionally some water so i don't know where where that's going to go you know it could become a very concise diet i mean just like cows we know exactly what to feed them to get them to what we want them to do and produce meat and as we might refine that diet for crickets to give them the least amount of inputs we need to get the maximum amount of output. You know, that's that's the way business works. I'm sorry if that's not, uh, I don't know what you call it, animal welfare-y, but that's kind of how it works. You know, you why give why pay to feed these cows way more than you need to when your competitor's not going to? So you want to give them exactly what they need, and that way you save the most money and you can buy more cows and you know that might be the same with crickets or crickets could be seen as just a way to get rid of you know food waste from restaurants and stuff so i don't know and that way you can't really control as much their diet so you lose that that edge that you would have if you were in control well the great thing is it doesn't just have to be crickets you can have a large range of insects that you can eat from so a lot of choice but when researching nick on new food sources insects might not be the number one bang for your buck so yes, that's true. I want to say another insect that is popular would be mealworms. Was another food one that would be popular. But Mike, what are you thinking would be the most bang for your buck, not insect-wise? Well, we said mealworms. My face instantly scrunched up and was like just thinking. I guess maggots and actual like like normal worms I use for fish and in my mind and my I just went bleh in my mouth. Thank God I'm just drinking straight whiskey. Maybe maybe. Maybe just switch it up a little bit and get us back a little bit more to what I am familiar with. So I'm a little bit back in my comfort zone. Rabbits. Or the more proper name. I'm going to mess up some words here, ladies and gentlemen, so please be prepared. Uh, Coniculture, the agricultural practice of breeding and raising rabbits for both meat and fur. Now, there are about seven major rabbit livestock breeds. The New Zealand Whites, the Californian Rabbits, the American Chinchillas, the Silver Foxes, which I don't know why on earth you would call a rabbit species Silver Foxes. We all know the Silver Fox is Anderson Cooper, so. (laughs) I'm not going to disagree there, Nick. You got the Rex Rabbits, the Palomino Rabbits, and the Flemish Giants. Now... The New Zealand Whites, the California Rabbits, American Chilla, Rex Rabbits, and the Palomino Rabbits, all about 9 to 14 pounds of meat. Silver Foxes are about 12 to 14, but the Flemish Giants, the biggest, at 20 pounds. That's a big... 20 pounds of meat? Yes. That's a big fucking rabbit. Wait, oh, it gets... They get bigger, Nick. Well, let me give you some numbers just to know what you're working with. So, rabbit meat is currently going for... About $1 to $2 per pound. Now, this is pre-COVID, so obviously numbers change. I, I do want to point out all my research and statistics are before COVID. Uh, it's kind of hard to do scientific research, I imagine, during COVID for growing rabbits and farming rabbits. But, oh, fun fact, Nick, you like this. Do you know male rabbits are called bucks, females are called does, and babies are called kittens? Okay, I did know that the males were bucks and females does but i have never heard the babies were called kittens yeah apparently that's the thing baby rabbits are called kittens and i whoever okay it sounds like whoever did the rabbit naming is just stealing shit from other (laughs) places like yeah i don't know the young ones those are kittens that rabbit no that's a that's a fox (laughs) (laughs) 
You got silver foxes, kittens. I, I have no idea what's going on with the naming rabbits. This, okay, this, this not to get too off topic, this is like um, when all the uh, biologists, when the West was being settled, went West and named, had different names for all the different animals. Like, there was supposedly 18 different species of elk because everyone just wanted to put their name attached to a species of elk, but it turned out they were all the same species. It, this seems a lot like that. Like, people just wanted to put their name... <laughs> And say that they did something. And, and it's not like rabbits aren't found all around the world and are like a new species. The rabbits have been around for a very long time. So I'm just confused on how we got buckdo and kitten. That's what I'm saying. I think there's some bad biologists out there. Ugh. Now, to be fair, I can understand with the um, the giant... Fle- the, was it the giant Fleming? How do you say it? Uh, Flemish, Flemish giants. Okay, that thing, I just pulled up a picture, it looks like a freaking bobcat. <laughs> so I can understand where the kitten comes from in that aspect. If that's where they're going off of, I can maybe see it. That was the first yeah. rabbit they ever saw. They're like, oh, look, it's a, it's a bobcat. <laughs> and then and then I guess it, it hopped away. I, you know, it doesn't... Okay, the whole story doesn't maybe hold up, but I don't really know how else to, to explain that. Ugh. But it so the other great benefit with rabbits getting a little bit back on topic is their fur and their wool with insects. Once you eat them, you eat them with cows. You get leather sheep. You get wool with rabbits. You get both fur and wool. So I didn't know this was apparently this was a thing, but shaving rabbits is an actual practice because rabbits molt like sheep. So you can shave rabbit to collect rabbit fur, and then when you go to kill it for its meat, you can then just use the fur. So you have meat, fur, and uh, wool. And really interesting to me was when it comes to fur of rabbits for shaving, they use 30% less energy when compared to sheep. Now granted, they're smaller, so that kind of makes sense, but if you're thinking large scale, that's that's a big benefit. I don't think I've ever seen a piece of cloth or clothing or any textile that was made out of shaved rabbit fur. But now I'm very curious. Yeah, I did not know that rabbits uh, did that over... Not all all rabbits malt, but some do. Some do. Now, I'm curious. I I don't know if this is an old wives' tale, but I feel like I saw this in in a fish and game guide, that rabbits above like 2,000 feet in elevation develop tumors and you're not supposed to eat them. I don't know if you ran across anything like that. This is either from Idaho, Oregon, or Wash or California fishing game book. I feel like that's where I saw it. And I've my grandpa's told me that that's true. So it's, so actually, no, it's definitely true. Um, I don't know. Did you run across anything like that? Uh, nope. I didn't really come across... But I don't know what what kind of rabbit that was, or you know, it was a wild rabbit, obviously for whatever. But um... well, another thing to consider is it a rabbit or a hare? Now those are two very different things. And I also did some research into this. Hares are bigger. They can also both see and have fur when they are born. Rabbits are born naked and blind. So I see some cross species, or maybe we start farming hares because they are bigger they are pretty much born ready to go they have a slightly faster birth rate too not by much they're both they're both a little bit over a month i think was like 36 days for a 
hare and 45 days for a rabbit, something around those numbers. I mean, I think everyone is familiar with the speed at which rabbits reproduce. There's literally a saying about it. Yes, that's why I was so surprised with crickets. I'm like, do rabbits really have crickets beat with breeding? And uh, their litters, too. Everywhere from 1 to 14 kittens, which is really weird saying out loud. And that hurts my brain that a rabbit gives birth to kittens still. We just talked about it, and you said it out loud, and it was like, God damn it, Mike, we're talking about rabbits, not kittens. (laughs) (laughs) Just shit together. Oh, but the in captivity they have higher birth rates. So imagine a hare that we maybe genetically spliced with a with, with a Flemish giant. So already a bigger thing than a rabbit with the biggest rabbit. They already breed about the same rate. They already we already know what they eat. They're the only problem is they're a little bit faster. And the great thing is too, some rabbits are bred to burrow underground. So you could simply not have to build them homes they will just build their own homes and but a di- another problem with this though that i had a hard time figuring out how to do is to deal with predators with goats sheep cattle you have mountain lions wolves etc etc uh, there's even more predators for rabbits i mean how are you going to protect a field imagine imagine hurting a field of rabbits when you see a bunch of turkey vultures or hulks flying above you i'm or even worse a bald eagle oh you can't touch that fucking bird. You're just gonna have to let him take away your entire herd. What's that? It's like um, it's like when whiskey evaporates in the barrels. It's the angel share. It's the, <laughs> it, the all the rabbits that fall prey to the eagle. That's the uh, that's Uncle Sam's share. You are not wrong. You're probably gonna have if you have a rabbit herd and you're moving them to graze another field. You're probably going to have to have some sacrificial rabbits in order for the herd to keep moving. What? It's just a rabbit. (laughs) Throw the holy hand grenade. It's got fangs. (laughs) Oh, mighty python. But I have, I'm not quite sure how to protect a herd of rabbits from predators, especially when they're outdoors. Coyotes, foxes, uh, birds, snakes. Like, could you do al- alpacas? Because that's what they do for sheep. So alpacas will protect like a herd of sheep from coyotes and mountain lions and stuff. I don't know how they. I have no idea how they interact with rabbits. I don't know if <laughs> they might get stepped on. <laughs> exactly. If yeah, but uh, I guess it's who's gonna kill less rabbits. I don't know. <laughs> I love how this is a real conversation. What's going to kill the least amount of rabbits? Uh, yeah, I I have no idea. I did not know about the alpacas and, or what did you say, alpacas or llamas? I think it's alpacas. It could be llamas. I don't know. Is there a difference? Yes. Yeah, then I think it's alpacas. Okay. Uh, it is very, that is interesting. I never heard about that. Yeah, maybe maybe when you have your cattle, you also have rabbits. Maybe the bigger animal scares away other animals so like the cow will have first graze and then the rabbits are among them and even second graze but of course you have to be careful of like say a combine well you don't want (laughs) if rabbits burrow you don't want them in with cows because the cow will step in the rabbit burrow it'll break its leg and then cow goes goes away but not all rabbits burrow so we can get some if you get some rabbits or hares that are bigger and don't burrow that's fine you just got to build them a den or uh in some shape or form so that kind of that kind of works 
Or maybe maybe if you want to have like a tree farm, Nick, since you're a forester, you could have a rabbit farm and a tree farm at the same time because the rabbits are a lot easier to navigate through the forest than, say, cows or sheep. They can help keep down the weeds and grass and maybe maybe help you out that way. Well, you'd, you'd need fences to keep them in or something that, you know, it's not like cows where they're a herd, I imagine. They're not, right? Sort of. So... There are some domesticated rabbits that act like herds. Mainly, I think it's Japan, and I want to say Germany, but I could be wrong about that. There are rabbits with certain genetics and been kind of bred that way where they act like a herd. They stay together. So it is possible to herd and mangle rabbits to stay as one unit, which is really quite weird to think about. Then I guess you you could release them out in the woods, but that's that's like the dumbest. I'm like, no, I'm not saying like public woods. You're, you're going to have, yeah, no, no. Like, I mean, like like our timberlands, because you have, uh, yeah, you, we got mountain lions, bobcats, bears, uh, eagles, owls. Hey, Nick, at least if the, if, if the mountain lion's well fed with rabbits, it won't come for you. That's true. Let's bring in some fucking rabbits. <laughs> no, I, so I, I don't think, I think you're gonna, they're going to be safer out in a pasture because, um, so like, there's an area on our tree farm that's got a lot of mountain lions, cougars, whatever you're going to call them. And the deer, they'll uh, they'll come out in the farmer's fields or uh, the houses and sleep against the houses or the roads because that's the only place the mountain lions won't go. So Clever girl. They're pr- Yeah, they're probably safer, closer to, you know, traditional agriculture than they are to out in the woods. Now, if you have a ton, like an economy of scale, and you, you're okay to lose a bit of your herd, you know, just because you have so many and you spread them out so much, and it doesn't seem like it costs a lot to reproduce them, if you're not really paying for feed, you know, because they're grazing, then I can maybe see it. But you have, there's going to be an acceptable level of loss that you're going to have to be willing to accept if you want to do that. Oh, absolutely. Just because, I mean, there's it's nature. Nature's metal. There's a lot of predators out there. <laughs> I, I'm, I might be a little sick in the head, but I, for some reason, keep thinking of a farmer accidentally using his combine and accidentally running over a bunch of rabbits because he didn't see them. My favorite thing about the rabbits when you were like, yeah, and it turns out in captivity, rabbits pretty much just breed a lot more i'm like wow that that would be humans right <laughs> like if, if you put us all in a box and like yeah you can have as much you know food and shelter and everything you want really the only thing to do is have sex <laughs> I, what do you think would happen uh we would breed like rabbits so yeah not that much different than rabbits i guess Ugh. well that's all i have for rabbits i just i think that's a great medium for switching from i guess quote-unquote more traditional food in my mind traditional food just like salmon beef and pork and chicken just uh i guess the big consumers here in america so having a little bit more rabbit when you go to the supermarket i think would be very nice to see and i think a lot of people i think that's not a big hurdle for people to get over is to eat rabbit because our ancestors and us have been doing it for thousands of years yeah and and there's a lot of animals that we've been eating for a long time that we don't eat like horses yes that is very interesting it's a delicacy in uh south korea and apparently it's quite delicious it's also a delicacy on the western front or so i hear hmm that was a little throwback. Well, not really a throwback to anything we did, but more like a, a Russian army joke than, than anything. <laughs> but sticking with meat, 
Nick, this is something I think we're both research and both come across, which is a little bit more sci-fi, a little bit more futuristic, lab-grown meat or cultivated meat. So just some knowledge of why it's important to think of new food sources and maybe change up our diet a little bit. In 2018, the average American ate over 200 pounds of meat and animal agriculture. America, (laughs) fuck yeah. Agriculture is very damaging to the planet when not done right. And overall, humans have not been the best at doing so. Well, we're the best at everything. Well, I guess technically we have to be the best at everything. Well, we could be the best at fucking we're, up. We're only competing <laughs> against ourselves. We're also we're the best and the worst. There's really no competition, <laughs> I guess. Oh, good old humanity. But with lab-grown meat, we get the same taste, the same product we're all accustomed to. Same one your grandfather ate, the same one you'll eat, and the same one your children eat. But... Raised and grown in a different way, and also less cost to the world and you, the consumer. If you want to come and get a nice juicy burger of some lab-grown meat, you can do so. It'll taste just like the original. So, uh, interesting study. It's a little bit dated, but I imagine the numbers are in the ballpark. I wouldn't say close, but I would say in the ballpark. In 2011, a study from the Good Food Institute, which is a, I believe, a nonprofit, found that lab-slash-cultured meat produces 78 to 96% lower greenhouse gases, needs 99% less land, which is kind of important with population growing, and 82 to 92% less water. So that means, Nick, we could not only use lab-grown meat for Earth with our overpopulation, but also for space, which is definitely something you should go check out on BackyardPhilosophy.com or Backyard Philosophy on YouTube or Backyard Philosophy wherever you listen to podcasts. So interesting about lab-grown meat that you're talking about is uh, the easiest lab structure, like tissue structure to grow lab-grown meat is actually insect protein. I don't know if you ran across that. I did not. I did not. I didn't see anything like that. Yeah. So it's apparent. It's a lot simpler than plant or not plant beef an animal cell like a like a deer like (laughs) cow or poultry or anything like that a A female doe (laughs) is it a female deer or a female rabbit mike (laughs) oh that's a good question i'm gonna definitely get you i'm definitely using that in the future just to fuck with people (laughs) definitely should um but yeah no so lab grown meat is grown in a bioreactor and there's inputs and they use the dna and the cells mimic the conditions of a tissue like they're still inside of an animal and then encourage them to grow and then eventually you harvest it and you can i I don't really i didn't really run across this about like if you can change up but one of the things that i thought would be interesting or that i saw that people were thinking of is like okay so we can make lab-grown meat so we can make like cow meat like cow muscle they're just making cow muscle or chicken muscle or fish muscle but why are we limiting ourselves to saying we're going to make cow muscle why can't we make use cow dna and salmon dna to get muscle that has all the benefits of cattle while with also having like the omega-3 from salmon so i can't with punity answer that question but i think i know why so with lab grown meat pretty much they're just biohacking mitosis stasis and at much like over uh organ donors you have to kind of match it to grow uh so like you can't put um you can't put b plus blood in an a minus person it just doesn't work that way and i think it's the same way with species with the mitosis and stem cell growth uh well i don't think it's stem cell growth anymore i think it's just cell growth with some 
plant life for to increase the mitosis process. But in order to get that, I don't see why, Nick, why we can't just mash them together, just grind them up together. I, I think that'd be a much more efficient way. Now, I, I definitely could be wrong. There are definitely ways around it, Nick, but I think it's just easier to grow cells naturally, synthetically with the process of that they already know, which is mitosis. I could be wrong about that, but I believe... If I had to make an educated guess, that's why it would be. No, that definitely makes a lot of sense, saying it out loud. Um, for those of you who don't know, mitosis is when two cells, or when one cell, say like a, a beef muscle cell, becomes too large to support itself, it splits into two cells. It's the same genetic material, same genetic code, it just splits into a different cell. That's that's all it is. It's just copying itself, basically, splitting into two. Yes, and it, like you said, Nick, it can be done with a large range of species. From fish to beef to we can get exotic with it. We can have endangered species meat without ever affecting an endangered species. You could eat horse with never eating horse. You could eat elephant with never eating elephant. Mammoth. You could. Yeah, that is possible. You could eat mammoth with never having to kill a mammoth or destroy a carcass. It so. And this is what I love about science, eating strange animals that I shouldn't shouldn't be able to. Yeah, we I imagine we could somehow do it with dodo birds too. We won't be able to bring them back to well, we could bring them back to life, which you should definitely go check out at the Extinction for Backyard Philosophy, but we could just eat dodo birds without dodo birds ever existing. That are you eating if a tree falls in the wood, does it make a noise? If you eat a dodo bird but the dodo bird doesn't exist, have you eaten dodo bird? I don't have anything to say because I'm still thinking. I'm trying to figure out because <laughs> I guess technically. No, but but the great thing about uh, with synthetic meat, much like crickets, it's it can be an all year round process. You don't have birthing or breeding seasons. You don't have excess waste. It's completely bare minimum systems. Granted, I believe it's still using energy, but with green alternatives such as solar panels and windmills, et cetera, et cetera. That'll become more efficient and almost neglect. And it could be when you ask for a menu, instead of having the gluten-free menu or the normal menu, you could have, can I have the synthetic menu or a traditional menu? That could be a real thing quite soon. I was amazed on how advanced synthetic meat has come and how many people are okay with it. I think majority people feel, yeah, sure, why not? Well, I know at least one person who isn't okay with it and uh, give you a shout out, Mary. So <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Mike, synthetic meat is now labeled as clean meat. I don't like that. And neither did Mary. And I don't blame her. She she worked for uh, like a cattle company, not a cattle company. She um, like uh, she was uh, involved with livestock, sort of like a lobbying thing where she help like did education ish for people about the livestock industry she was kind of involved in trying to persuade people not to call lab grown meat clean meat i can see it from both sides but i bring it up you know it the cattle industry obviously didn't want it to be called clean meat because it implies that traditional meat is dirty from the side of the people making it lab grown meat doesn't seem very appetizing and most pretty much everything you eat comes from a lab like Every yogurt was in like a flavor lab, you know, like every candy comes from some kind of lab. So it's not really narrowing it down, calling it lab made. Oh, the flavor 
the flavor industry alone is over a trillion dollar industry. Yeah. So there, there's, there, you know, and, and people see it as an issue. And I think out of everything we're going to talk about that uh, the synthetic meat is what I feel better. I feel like that's more of a fair statement to call it. I agree. Is the real like food of the future. I, you know, after uh, World War II, Americans less saw livestock and deer as just sustenance and started seeing them more as living things and that trends continued and we see it all the time in the animal welfare movement the anti-agriculture movements the uh anti-hunting movements that trend's only going to continue and i wouldn't be surprised in like 150 years from now when synthetic meat's pretty common people are going to look back on us for eating animals the way people look back now for people for uh having slaves because of how barbaric quote-unquote barbaric it is I can see that happening, but I can also see it being more like blacksmithing. Like, yes, you can do things with machinery, but sometimes just crafting something with your own hands, something a little bit more natural, organic, just seems seems more right. Granted, it could just be my caveman brain thinking like that of, ooh, meat, ooh, fire, let's go. And don't get me wrong, I, when I... When I get my own house, we're going to get some, you know, chickens and stuff, and, and we're going to have a little bit of our own livestock so we can be self-sufficient. Like, I'm not anti, you know, traditional agriculture and stuff like that, but I think just the trend, I, I don't see it reversing of people thinking that that's not okay. I think the only thing that's going to change that is uh, is like a food shortage and people need to eat. It's the only thing that's going to give change people's mind on animal welfare and stuff like that. Oh, I, I agree. But out of curiosity, Nick, when you get that new house, are you going to get kittens too? Depends what you mean by kittens. Actually, no, it doesn't. I'm not getting... Uh, <laughs> that's not true. As soon as I get a new house, I'm sure I'm getting new kittens. You know, Not the uh, not the rabbits, but I'm sure... Oh, the kitten hairs? You're getting kitten w- hairs? No, not the kitten hairs. I'm sure that my wife will be getting us some, some kittens. But they'll be outside kittens. Will the kittens not have hair? They better have fucking hair see this is the great thing hairs and hair and kittens and kittens oh i love it i'm going oh to do have God. so many more puns next time we do an episode hairless Nick. cat so bad I, it, it's like are you kidding me they're so gross they look like a ball sack yeah I, I'm, I'm with you on that one nick but before we go oh, too far away from synthetic meat, i just want to put out this one last fact that i have it's also because it's laboratory made you can have vaults test tubes you don't have to have the additional land to farm again it goes back to more vertical farming you could stack them up on each other at like i know we don't want to associate this with the food industry but factory you could have factory synthetic meat it's not what we think in our mind because those words are hard to associate with each other but i i see that being on the menu very soon nick and it's already on the menu in some places it's uh no, like it's definitely not far off. There's actually a lot of the big protein producing companies have are doing research in synthetic meat. Well, we've talked about synthetic meat. Maybe again, maybe we keep going teeter totter and back and forth and bring it back to something a little bit more people are familiar with. Let's bring it back to fish. We talked about with synthetic farming that you can grow fish with simply some cells and mitosis and people love fish. About 160 million tons of seafood are eaten by people every single year. 160 million tons. And 50% of that 
comes from aquaculture. With fish farm becoming more efficient and more diverse, expect to see more fish on the menu, especially with the possibilities of having it being more efficient in a closed spot and maybe we'll stop overfishing throughout the entire world. Farm fishing, granted, has its downsides and its benefits, when, especially when done properly, has lots of benefits. You can use yeast and algae and a whole number of food sources for it to feed the fish. There are even competitions to have a more effective uh, feed for the fish. Like there's a competition, I believe it's the F3 challenge, which is simply make a better type of feed for farming fish. And with fish, no fertilizer is needed to produce the food for the fish because you can use things like algae. And no fertilizer means no fertilizer runoff, which would help save the coral reefs. Everything's there is connected. And aquifers are already here and they're already growing. The Blue Ridge Aquaculture has the world's largest RAS of tilapia farm. And... Nick, you are right. You said earlier, America does it best and we're the biggest. Twice, America is the biggest, especially with the tilapia farm because it's located here in Virginia. Ha, huh, we got you in obesity, obesity and tilapia. <laughs> uh, RAS, for those who don't know, means recirculating aquaculture systems. So recycling water is huge, less waste, less resources used, less money. It's Water is key. It's the keystone for I would say all agriculture. Would you agree there, Nick? Yeah, and just goes back to that point. I forget what podcast it was where it's like, soil is the basis of everything. And you're like, wait, isn't that water? It's like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. A blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while, Nick. <laughs> but we're getting fit more and more efficient at recycling the water. Currently at, and this I think was in 2018, so we might even be better than we are now. And again, I won't put an asterisk here. I don't know if this is lab or if this is real world production. So keep that in mind. But we have recycling systems that can recycle 90% of its water. Some of its water is lost due to uh, simply going to the fish to drink water. Yes, fish drink water too. Evaporation, just simply a loss of, I don't know, somewhere a leak. So 90%, granted, even that's lab, that's still extremely well and it seems like a very profitable business so the nordic aqua farms a norway based firm is attempting to make a 500 million dollar salmon farm which they are planning to build in belfast maine and i believe that'll be the most expensive technological fish farm so america granted with norway's help might have two of the world's biggest aquacultures and they're planning to build it in Belfast, Maine, but that might be a bit dated because I believe that was in also 2018. So with things in hush permits, I imagine it's been a bit slow for them. Now, I keep mentioning this, fish farms with algae. Now, that is a huge symbiotic relationship. Fish farms can use algae for the fish to eat. The fish food, the, I'm sorry, the fish poop helps fertilizer the algae and helps the algae grow, a very symbiotic relationship. And we'll talk about it very soon with algae being able to help with uh, both the environments, with using photosynthesis to convert carbon dioxide into oxygen. We can eat algae. We can turn algae into different feeds. We could feed algae to the crickets. We could feed algae to the rabbits. We could feed algae to any omnivore or herbivore, which is... Very useful considering how efficient algae is, but that's getting a little bit ahead, but 
Again, aquaponics, I keep saying this, or aquaculture, is a cultivation of plants and fish in an integrated system in which the wastewater from the fish tanks, like the poop, the scales, etc., etc., is used to provide the nutrients for hydroponically grown plants, pretty much plants that grow in water. And the nutrient-free water, because those plants are sucking up all that poop and scales, etc., etc., is circled back to the fish. And especially when it's farmed fish in fish tanks, it's great for the fish. You don't want dirty, mucky water. We've all assumed have a fish tank or seen people with fish tanks or seen in movies where a fish tank is dirty. It's disgusting, and fish don't do well in that. So I'm going to bring up uh, something, Mike, that is probably my second favorite thing to talk about behind trees. It is government fucking everything up for the rest of us. (laughs) Did you know up until very recently in the United States, the United Kingdom, uh, people who farmed fish, say salmon, trout, whatever, weren't allowed to feed insects to those fish? Why on earth were they not allowed to do that? Because they fall under the same rules as uh, livestock, and you can't feed insects to livestock as like a fish meal or whatever, or corn, whatever you want to call it. So you're so you're telling me a fish that naturally eats worms, algae, water spiders, insects, mite, uh, not gnats, all those things doesn't get in an insect, which is part of most fish natural diet, at least freshwater fish, because they're considered a livestock, not because it's natural for them to eat insects? That is exactly what I'm telling you. Oh, I I hate humans sometimes. Think about, think from the pure um, insect growing perspective, think about where we would be if we could feed, you know, even just for the insect growth, if we had that, you know, that that's a way more viable solution. You know what they feed most of the fish a lot of these times? Fish meal. So it's ground up like sardines and sh- shit caught from the ocean or wherever. <laughs> So they're giving fish to fish. Taking, yeah, but taking something out of the ecosystem to give to lab-grown fish compared, you know, fucking insects that they naturally eat, especially trout, which if anyone's ever fished for trout or fly fish, you are just mimicking insects to try to get the trout to eat those fish. It's like... That's just common sense. Yeah. So I ran across that and I was like, oh, that can't be true. And then I looked up, I was like, oh... Well, I guess that's true. I feel like someone who's never fished before was in charge of fishery and hatchery, which is scary. But, Nick, since I didn't really think about it till now, it'd be great to have to grow that symbiotic relationship of grow insects like crickets to feed to the fish. Fish turn that into poop, which grow the algae. The algae can then be used to feed the crickets. Just a food for thought there, Nick. Get it? Get it? Nope. We're not doing puns. All right. We're going <laughs> to... <laughs> I'd edit that out if I was in charge of this episode. <laughs> nope, my puns will stay in. God damn it! But we keep talking about algae. Maybe, maybe we should talk to algae unless you have some more on. Fish. No, let's move on to algae. You know, we talked a little bit about it um, with the Mars episodes about how it's unlike, say, pretty much every other agricultural commodity. You can eat pretty much the entire thing. You know, there's no root or stalk that supports the fruit it's it's just a block of algae and you can take it and do various things so you can dry you can turn it into like a powderish thing or whatever you want to do but all of it is edible in one way or another and uh you know a lot of what i've seen is turning it into like like you said like a protein powder or protein bar or something like a kind of like a block of food not i haven't seen anything making it that makes it seem appetizing i don't know if you ran across anything 
Uh, no, I'm still thinking back to our space episode where I just say genetically engineered so it tastes like bacon. I'll eat it if it tastes like bacon. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. Yeah, I don't know. Bring a bunch of freaking spices up there. <laughs> well, adding, add, yeah, maybe, I think you're right. Maybe mix it in with a smoothie, some some different format. Uh, just uh, some numbers out there, quick numbers. Algae grows 10 times more rapidly than terra plants, which is like just plants that grow in the soil, at least common terra plants. Uh, they use about one-tenth the amount of land for commercially growing algae uh algae doesn't need fresh water some algae can survive in uh, salt water they can also absorb and convert co2 like i mentioned earlier and nick you'll like it i looked up some feed costs and try to do analysis compared to feed cost to algae so for algae the cost when compared to traditional farming like uh corn is also more cost efficient currently for al again this is pre-covid number so things probably have changed Algae is about $400 an acre, and corn is about $660 per acre, which is, that's a $200 difference, which could make or break a farmer. So that's, to me, very impressive. Yeah, but you get a lot of money for that ethanol for corn, so. Yeah, but algae can be turned into biofuel. This is why I think. Well, I'm sure it can, but pretty much anything can be converted into biofuel, and that's something I learned at school is a lot of the biofuels are biofuels that you just cut with diesel. So it's like your sense. No, uh, does it actually combust? Like you, you can. There's a part of the plant cell in algae that you. It's not a plant cell. Oh, they have a special cell. There's a part in there that you can turn into actually just fuel by itself, not mixture. They were doing a study when I went to college about the biodiesel, and it pretty much was like we can. It burns hot enough; everything burns. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's the whole thing is like, yeah, we, this runs on biodiesel. It's like you just cut it with enough, like you just put as little or as much of your, you know, quote unquote bio product in there to make it burn. And then you put a bunch of diesel in there so that it still burns. So it just burns dirty, but it still runs. It's like you don't, you're not actually gaining. This is a while ago, so I don't know where the technology is at now, but it's like you're not really gaining anything. You're just cutting your, you're just cutting your with less efficient fuel i don't know no you're you you are right there are some biofuels that do that but algae's come quite a bit away and it's also going to keep going a little bit away so algae is estimated to be a 5.2 billion dollar industry by 2023 and the methods of harvesting algae keep significantly improving there are multiple ways to harvest algae the big three being filtration flotation and dewatering so filtration run it through filter, pick it up, flotation, put some air bubbles in, algae flows to the top, skim it, and dewatering, drain the water or stuff like that. But Nick, like I mentioned with biofuel and that corn can be used for something else, I think that's very important for algae is if you produce too much algae to feed your human consumers, you can simply turn that around and sell it to fish hatcheries, to livestock owners. You could use, you can transport that algae to different markets it's i'm not like with corn if you turn that into corn flour you can't feed flour to a cow but you can feed algae to a cow i yeah i'm sure it's true but i i'm worried it's kind of like uh like every industry makes obscene boasts right like every now and then you'll see the timber industry say we can use 100 percent of the tree well yeah i mean we can use 100 percent of the tree economically it doesn't make sense to we'd be burning more fuel and causing more emissions just to do it than we would gain from using that in something else so it's not green it doesn't make money it doesn't make any sense so i see a lot of boasts on stuff like this for crickets and and, and kind of 
the greener stuff saying we can use it for this, this, and this, but economically doesn't make sense to use it for this, this, and this. Oh, completely agree. And I want to point out this, this to everyone. I am a fool with a capital F. So do again, I can't employ you all to do your own research. That is huge for both of us. Do your own research. Look up the facts. Again, you can check out our sources on our YouTube description page. But again, I am a I am a moron. All I know is I know nothing. So I'm just trying. For cattle, cattle feed, you know, they're very picky about what proteins and stuff they want. I just chose cattle. Yeah. I just I just chose cattle because we were talking about cows. I didn't I didn't I didn't, wasn't researching that. I'm just saying if say a market comes oversaturated with algae for human consumption. It's a lot easier to switch it over to feed fish with algae. That's well, yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just wondering that. if like you had like ran across anything about what industries specifically were looking for it or what would use it and stuff like that. Oh no no no! I completely apologize if I came across that way. I have it's for specifically land animals. I have yet to see it. I only, I've seen it for crickets and I've seen it for fish fishery. That's it. I haven't also looked that in depth into algae that much. For this episode but i know there's a few different kinds of algae the one that i ran across most researching for space i don't know if you came across too was the spirulina algae is that what i don't know if you saw that i did not uh, that's what i the one i kept coming across it's pretty hardy um at least for, for space so you can grow it in cold you can grow it warm it's not super temperature climate specific and uh you know it re- <laughs> algae is a plant algae those of you who don't know algae recycles about 70 percent of the earth's co2 that being said was it 73 percent of the earth is water so i don't exactly know if that's just because algae is way more efficient than plants or than terrestrial plants um i'd like to disagree i i personally would like to say trees are the best but i i don't have anything to, to prove that but uh <laughs> algae does also do a lot of that and just like any agriculture that grows plants plants they recycle co2 so it's something to you know think about so when you grow algae i'm kind of curious when they try to do it at scale mike do you think it'll be like indoors aquaculture or maybe closer to like uh they probably wouldn't do like an oyster farm right out in the wild because then you're introducing maybe not introducing an invasive species but disrupting the natural habitat by pumping an inordinate amount of algae population into that environment no i don't think it'd be in the wild because algae can be very detrimental to a ecosystem especially if it's the wrong type of algae like red blooming algae for algae though i don't know if it'll always be grown indoors it might be a combination of open area and closed area so almost a rotation of the algae so that way you're harvesting two times the year the huge amount because i'm not quite sure what the harvesting time is for algae could be quicker than that but i i can't see it going to the wild like oyster oysters at all nick i'll be honest with you yeah, now thinking about it, that, that does seem kind of stupid. No, no idea is stupid, especially when it's a pun. It's, it's not stupid, it's just not good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not stupid, it just wasn't thought out. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. And the thing is, you know, with, with that and with space is access to water is going to be key. So you're going to have to do it somewhere where you do have an access to water. Now, I know it reproduces a lot, or, you know, re- you can recycle a lot of that water. But if you're going to start an algae business, why would you do it in L.A. where you have to pay, like, I, I don't even know I, I don't live in la never, never have ever but well that's why i was very surprised when 
a lot of algae that's edible algae doesn't necessarily need fresh water. They can grow, they can survive off salt water, which seems like if you're going to be a state that shall we not name, but we like to shit on is, has no fresh water, but it's right next to the ocean. and has lots of salt water. Seems like just grow algae that needs salt water, not fresh water. Yeah. I mean, we have an abundance of salt water and a lacking of fresh water. So that makes sense. I don't even know. That's not true. I was going to say, I don't even know what their regulations are on using salt water, but I guarantee you the state that shall not be named has regulations <laughs> on using salt water. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised it doesn't have a regulation on how you're allowed to breathe. You've seen space balls, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We want all your air. Ugh. All right, Nick. Uh, do you have anything else on algae? Because I kind of want to go down a weird wormhole. I don't have anything else on algae, no. Okay. This is something that I thought about for years because I got in a drunk argument with one of my college friends about it. And I did more math than I probably should have to figure out if this is a viable source. Now, stay with me. Nick, how do you feel about eating hippos? I'm pro-eating pretty much anything, so yes... Okay. Okay. We got we got we got a foundation. So there are two type of hippos, the common hippotamus and the pygmy hippotamus. The average lifespan or expectancy for a common hippo is about 36 years. But when researching this, for some reason there's a huge digressy, not digressy, a huge argument on the number that they have a life expectancy. I saw everything from 36 to 54 and everything in between. So I I don't know if there's a consensus on the age for a hippo to live. But to compare it, a cow lifespan is about 10 years. Hippos depending on male, female, and species, eat from anywhere from 80 to 150 pounds a day, while a cow eat about 26 pounds per day. A cow is about 1,000 pounds of meat, and hippos are about 1,700 pounds of meat. Now that's wild hippos, not captive hippos. That will come up in a second. But that 1,700 is probably way off than it actually is. It's probably much higher than that is. The reason why that number is probably way off is because I manually had to calculate the amount of meat on a hippo for consumption. And I, I saw, I, I just used the same formulas they use to calculate how much meat is on a cow and use that for hippos. And yes, folks, I did not know this. There are mathematical formulas for figuring out how much meat is on a cow carcass or just a living cow. So... I got 1700 It's probably higher than that, but just stay with me because it's going to get much bigger in a second. Hippos also reach, granted this is kind of negative, but hippos reach a reproductive age at the age of five to six years old. Cow takes about two years so they can breed faster. Okay, okay. But a captive female hippo reaches maturity much faster than, in the, uh, than compared to in the wild. And they also get bigger too. So maybe with some selective breeding, we can bring that hippo reproductive age from five years to say three years or two years. So it's comparative to cows. I don't know if that's possible. Just throwing that idea out there. But this is where it gets more interesting. The biggest hippo in captivity was in Germany at 4,500 kilograms. Nick, you love the metric system. What's 45 kilograms, 4,500 kilograms in pounds? What's the conversion rate? Is like 2.2 kilograms a pound? Yep. So. 
So give me a sec. That's, that's <laughs> I, I have the number right in front of me. If you just want me, if you want me just to say it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just tell me? Because I like I'm an it... American. That, that's why. Right? Give. You, you, I want my answer, and I want it now. You will learn the metric system, and you will enjoy my puns. This is how it will be. But 4,500 kilograms comes to be about 9,911.889 pounds. And that's what's, that's using the same cow formulas I use to calculate the 1,700 pounds. That brings the amount of meat on a hippo to 6,000 pounds of meat. That's a shit ton of meat there, Nick. And not, the benefits just don't stop there. A single cup of milk for a hippo has about 500 calories, while a cow only has about 125. Hippos produce things that I did not know exist until now, which is now going to haunt me, but hipposoritic acid and norhipposoratic acid, which are natural sunscreens that they use. Granted, they're from Africa, so it makes sense that they have more skin protection. So we could not only farm them for their milk, and their meat, but also their sweat. Nan doesn't stop there. Hippo teeth is ivory. So when a hippo is dyed and processed and shipped off, you also have ivory to sell. And if it's done ethically, you have ethic ivory, which will help ruin the illegal black market poachers. And it would help help animals and species. And I believe their skin can turn into leather. So you have milk, which is pink, by the way, Nick, in case you didn't know that. They're one of, the, I think, only mammals that have pink milk because of their sweat. You can collect their sweat. You can collect their meat. You can collect their skin. You can collect their teeth. I, and hell, you like U.S. history, Nick. The United States has already considered and tried to bring hippos to the Everglades. They tried doing it in 1910 and at the last minute pulled out. So it's an old idea. I mean, hell, even Pablo Escobar back in the, back in the 20th century actually did it. He brought hippos to South America. And those hippos he brought back survived, bred, and their ancestors are now running around in South America. Those hippos still exist. And not to mention, you could also collect the hippo's poop. It's great fertilizer. It feeds fish. Oh, did I forget to mention hippos also are really great at cleaning their environment because they're kind of like they'll remove invasive species if we put them in the Everglades. Based on current projections, we're able to reduce the amount of invasive pythons in the Everglades by using hippos. So, because hippos are omnivores. Granted, they're mainly herbivores, but they are been known to eat meat. So if we breed some hippos that are bigger, more docile, just like our ancestors did with cows, we could have hippo meat on the market. And not just hippo meat, hippo milk. I mean, we're milking everything these days, Nick, let's be honest. Hippo sweat for your skin or using... When now hippos, unlike almonds, actually do have mammary glands right that is correct hippos are the sea are the no that's manatees manatees are sea cows i'm not quite sure what the nickname for hippo is i think just swamp cows swamp cows we'll go with swamp cows that's no we gotta sell it we can't we can't call it swamp cows and we can't call africa's number one killer so uh we're gonna have to come up with a new name for hippo meat i feel like you just market as hippo meat there we go something Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, but their milk's better. Granted, it takes a little bit longer for them to grow, and takes it takes they eat a little, they eat more. But if you put them in Everglades where you can't have traditional farming, seems like a win-win. And also, they're well, I, that's never gonna happen. You say this, but if we get another drug dealer like Pablo Escobar, Escobar, I can see that happening. Just 
drunk one day? A, a drug dealer, maybe, but the United States is never going to allow any kind of animal into that. That's such a sensitive environment. They'll never put anything in there. Nick, this is that's Florida. Anything can happen in Florida. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Texas, we got cheetahs, tigers, and lions. Oh, my. Yeah, but they're on like they're on a land. They're, that's there's a huge difference between like the freaking nothing of hills of Texas versus the diversity roller coaster that is the Everglades. See, this is why I think it's possible because hippos are so big and it'd be so easy to put a tracker on them and not lose them. If you lose a hippo with a tracker on it, you're really bad at your job. So maybe do a small experiment. Maybe have. Five hippos, non-breeding hippos, maybe just all females, and put them in the Everglades and just see if they're good at uh, the environment. Do a small test. Yeah, I mean, you could. I just, there, the, the anytime you put anything in an area like that, environmentalists are going to be against you. The government's going to be against you. I just don't see anything working out. Like, like I don't see them, the even the USDA allowing that in, in any way because large scale you need to have enough of those to supply the industry and if it did grow they'd want more and more land which would then become more and more of the everglades which is already protected and well i just i just use the everglades or, as an example you could invent right or you could do what's it called you know you could do pens and stuff but you know that might it's going to be cost prohibitive compared to cattle home home on the range with the hippos roam i mean I think, or you could just, or you could just throw them in like somewhere that's already fucked, right? Like somewhere, some like a lake or something that's got like red algae blooms or zebra mussels take over or something, where it's like we're just writing it off somewhere around Flint, Michigan. (laughs) Oh God! I had to put put a finger on it. Maybe we're limiting our minds too much to just America. Imagine, I mean, hippos already native to Africa. Imagine if they started a breeding program and just bred different types of hippos to be farmed for production. Maybe we don't have to even bring them to America. Granted, it would be hilarious to drive by the same day an ostrich farm, a beef farm, a rabbit farm, an algae farm, a fish farm, and a hippo farm all in the same day. That would be that would be hilarious. Well, we have ostrich farms and pretty much all of those except for hippo farms. God damn it. I just want I just want hippo farms. I just want to be right from a drunk college time. And that's all that any of us want, right? That's the real American dream. <laughs> but again, I see hippos being such a benefit to... Now, I don't know how much methane they produce compared to cows. I didn't look that up. But more meat, relatively same breeding periods. You can take more from a hippo than you can from a cow so less waste it and you can use land that cows can't grow on so seems like a possibility to me granted i could be just a crazy and like i said i am full with a capital f so i just wanted to run that crazy idea by you yeah i i think it's it is interesting because like you said there isn't a lot known about hippos and that's totally true like my grandpa he's been to africa and he told me that hippos eat meat and i was like and i was in uh in school i was probably in like seventh grade and we were talking about hippos like yeah hippos eat meat and my teacher's like are you stupid hippos are vegetarian and i was like oh i guess i'm just an idiot and so then i went to my grandpa he's like yeah hippos eat meat well it turns out they didn't figure out that hippos eat meat till like 95 and so it didn't make its way into like mainstream until after i was out of you know whatever seventh grade so i look like the idiot but i was i was right because my grandpa had been to africa and very few other people could say that 
um, besides my dad, I guess. And uh, so they are un, uh, what'd you call it? Un, there's a lot of unknowns about hippos, I guess. So there's, it could be, I mean, we just don't know, I feel like. Had you run across any like African hippo? I mean, I guess most of that would come from zoos, right? Uh, so yes. So one, the good old American education system doing its finest. Uh, two, there is a problem uh occasionally hippos have been known to be cannibals and they'll eat other hippos like yeah sometimes they'll eat like zebras or carcasses and alligators but they're mainly herbivores but they've been known to eat meat and yeah the the cannibalism thing is kind of an issue because sometimes they'll eat their own species and that could be leading to you know like diseases like mad cow disease uh with the farming that i know with africa knowledge they have sort of tried, not efficiently. Uh, unfortunately, a big component that's uh, killing off a lot of hippos, because hippos are very deadly, but again, like I mentioned, their teeth are ivory. So a lot of hippos are being poached simply for their teeth, not for their meat, milk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the process of actually farming hippos and trying to breed hippos to be more docile and more beneficial for uh, livestock has yet to be tried or done. So it's kind of a hairball screw idea but you know nothing's if it works it's not stupid i guess yeah maybe maybe nick i can i can bring it back with another uh, with something a little bit more ground-based so designer food i don't know if you came across this nick um i think i may have but i don't know where you're going with this so you go and i'll tell you if i know what you're talking about okay so we have custom bones clothes cars so why not custom food Food designed and made for your diet. Whether you be man, woman, child, young, old, doesn't matter your genes or genetics, it's tailored to you. Now, we thought this would happen way back then, way back in the day with the Jetsons where you just pop a pill and your meal was ready to go and you went on your way. But I'm, I hate to bust your bubble, everyone. Food pills are probably not going to happen unless you want to swallow a lot of pills. The average human needs about 2,000 calories, and you can't fit that many calories into a pill. So pills are kind of gone. But that designer food for it's made for your body, your genetics, and still have that on-the-go mentality ready to go can be done with shakes. Grab a shake not a pill, is possible. One company doing this is called Soylent. Soylent, in 2014, raised $3 million and still exists today, made a company that is custom food shakes. Now, the great thing about this shake is you only need about 400 milliliters of this powder that you can customize and design because Soylent is open source. I'm always a big fan of open source, so that's nice to see. And the other benefit with having a powder, like we mentioned with turning crickets into powder or algae into powder, is it has a long shelf life. So you can have a food dedicated just to you, Nick, whatever your body and works best for your body, in a powder, just throw it in a blender or add some water, drink it, and you had an entire meal. You're done. You hit all the nutritions. You don't have to supplement. You're not missing any vitamins. You're putting the best fuel in your body that's designed solely for you. Have you come across any of this, Nick? Yep, that's exactly where I thought you were going. But if you went somewhere else and I started talking about it, I didn't want to look like an idiot. Yeah, that is, you know, you, you kind of... Nick, I already talked about eating hippos. I already look like an idiot. You're not so you're wrong. Um, we, we didn't talk about this, but this is something that kind of already happens a little bit. If you've done like an Ancestry or 23andMe or whatever it's called, they'll tell you like, oh, your body's designed to process like, you know, because I happen to know a lot of people of 
Irish and or Polish descent. And like, well, your body's really good at processing potatoes in red meat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew that. It might but be thank interesting you. to just know your heritage a little but, bit uh, food. But, oh, for sure. But it'd be a lot more specific like to you. I mean, there's a lot of little things in there. And part of it's going to be genetics. But I feel like another part of that, Mike, is going to be like uh, the like the nanotechnology inside your body that's saying, Hey, like this guy, he's missing these micronutrients. Like he needs, he's, he needs iron or he needs, you know, potassium or or something like something like that. So it's going to be a little bit of that. Like your body can naturally process these things. And then a second step of this is what your body needs. Could we have nanobots in our bodies talk to our refrigerator to prep shakes? So our bodies get the right fuel and, that we need i mean that's the future right hopefully it's all about efficiency you know what if, what if it turns out like uh that'd be funny if if avocados like if all of us you know european descent people just can't process avocados so all the avocados we eat don't really do anything for us so we just established this trend turned all these forest land into avocados essentially started like wars in mexico to produce avocados and it turns out we're not getting any health aspects from them because our body just can't process them. Which isn't true, but it'd be kind of funny, right? Well, maybe not. Depends on your sense of humor, I guess. Dark funny, but still sort of funny. But I also see, I also see a big component on food custom to whatever profession you're doing. Nick, we've all had those days where you're doing a lot of labor and the next day you're just sitting at the computer. Or maybe you want to make sure your child is getting the best nutrition for growth and healthiness. Or an athlete's trying to be the best performance with customized designer food in the form of shakes. That might be a possibility. And it doesn't it won't come in just one flavor. You could customize it. Be like, I want to have a mango taste today. Or I want it to taste like roast beef. That's all a possibility. Granted, I don't think I would want to... What if we have MREs that don't taste like shit? And don't plug you up for days on end? I'm listening. <laughs> well, I mean, they're supposed to do that. But um, no, that's... that's. I mean, that, that'd be crazy, right? Yeah, but can we, have, can we have MREs that aren't made just to plug you up? Like MREs just because you're traveling? You're just like, please? So uh, my wife and I have this discussion a lot about um, diet, not in like a whatever diet sense, but in the fact that we can pick a diet for cows to get them exactly what we want. The Army has invested a lot of time and money researching perfect diet for soldiers, so we know they're expected, like, that's where the MREs came from, right? You need this many calories, you need this nutrients. This is how you get it inside your body. And with humans, it's hard to do because, like you said, one, we're picky. You know, cows will eat what we give them. <laughs> humans will not eat, or sometimes we'll eat everything. It just really depends. So it's hard to control the human diet. So I guess my question is, even if we have, you know, shakes that... uh are perfectly tailored to our diets and we can get everything we need from them and make them whatever flavor will that satisfy us like we talked about in uh mars the mars episode with meal fatigue where if you have the same thing over and over like you said you can change the uh the flavor but if it's still a shake will will we get used to it or will we want something more now i know humans aren't known for being greedy <laughs> so i don't think that's going to be like an issue 
Nick, I don't know about you, but pretty much the main fun of eating is sitting down and actually eating it. Like I like I like tasting what I'm eating. Yeah, I second that. You know, I also like to taste what I'm eating. How about if I uh, share something with you, Nick, and you, the audience, of something that could be more common in the future and will help your food that you are currently eating and or may eat in the future taste even better? Sonic Enhanced Food. Damn it, I really thought we had a, a hot sauce sponsor, but go on. <laughs> All that, that would be the day. But Sonic Enhanced Food, so studies have come out uh, from Oxford and many others that food will have a different taste depending on what type of music you're listening to or sound in general. From Oxford to Kitchen, music is entering the dining world. A study from Oxford led by Charles Spence found that the taste of food could be adjusted by changing the the sonic properties of a background soundtrack. And this is already happening in kitchens. I didn't know this was a thing. Culinary chefs are adding music to pair their dishes with, which sounds bougie as fuck, but apparently it's a real science. Are There are chefs who are serving dishes with an iPod. I'm not kidding about this. Seafood with the sound of the sea is apparently a huge difference and makes the fish taste better and makes food kind of have a more natural taste and also changes how you feel about the food so if you're unhappy eating the same food over again having music significantly changes that which i thought was so weird i'm not too surprised but it kind of comes back to something we were talking about earlier right like maybe before the podcast of uh about fishing and stuff like fit you know like fish tastes better when you catch it because you know where it comes from and so now you're just having a deeper connection with your meal which is exactly what like hunting and fishing is is you have a deeper connection with your meal so it's kind of it's kind of taken a long walk back around to where you started yes but here's the thing it's not just the sound of the sea when you're eating seafood it can be just a simple tone right i understand but you're what it's doing is you're forming an emotional connection to that meal oh i see yes i see what you're saying now yes i yeah, i agree with that which isn't you know, isn't realistic in most of our lives to spend, you know, to form an emotional connection to each one of our meals. But if we use music, which is already something that we emotionally connect with. So my neighbors are going to hate me next time because I'm just going to blast Avra Mia when next time I eat uh, spaghetti and meatballs. Uh, my favorite um, thing to listen to is to eat like uh, any kind of Italian meal and just play the Sopranos <laughs> uh, theme song. <laughs> That's a good meme right there. Sonic food. Eat Italian with soprano music. <laughs> but Nick, what if I told you we might not have to eat ever again? All right. So here's, that is, would be ideal. I would love to have breakfast and lunch, just like a slushy or not a slushy, like a whatever, like a pill or a smoothie. And then I can enjoy dinner. Breakfast and lunch is for work. Dinner is when I relax and I can eat something. That would be the ideal solution. Or if I just get pumped full of shit, saline drip while I'm asleep, and I don't have to eat breakfast or lunch, and I can enjoy dinner, that would be the best case scenario for me. Nick, how would you like to eat by simply breathing? Right, Mike, I love trees. I don't want to be one. (laughs) Well, it's actually not all the realm of uh, possibility. There are talks and... The science kind of backs it up. We could convert ourselves to get nutrients 
through the process of photosynthesis. Apparently, which I did not know, Nick, in our cells currently is everything we need to do photosynthesis and things that we are not currently using. In, well, we are currently using them, but not optimizing them. So we could eat like a tree, Nick, with photosynthesis. So throughout the day, you, especially if you work outside, you could just, you know, get your photosynthesis, drink water, and then at dinner time, have a nice meal, and that's all you need. One meal would be equivalent to three meals per day because you get the rest of your nutrients through photosynthesis. You could become a tree, Nick. You could you could reach your ultimate state. Again, like trees, don't want to be one. I do, I, I really enjoy this because I would love to see people fighting each other for sunlight and then people would really understand like how forests <laughs> work. Like, oh shit, like that grass is taking that tree's sunlight <laughs> and you killed it. Oh, you're such an asshole. Suddenly... Can you believe that fucking grass is trying to take my fucking sunlight? Suddenly, we are the assholes. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, would enjoy it just it, for the societal aspects of that. Like, I would love to people just to understand how that sunlight is, in fact, a resource. I would say it might be the ultimate resource. Don't want to be green. Don't want to be green. But Nick, don't you want to be like a tree and shake? Don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> no. Oh, it, it's a it, you know the story is like uh, the leaves. Shake oh, I I thought you were doing Boondock Saints. Oh no, that would work. <laughs> Why don't you make like a tree? Then <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, that good old Patty. But I think it is interesting that we could, especially with CRISPR and genetic engineering, have different people eat different ways like with nanotechnology put patches on ourselves to eat some people be photosynthetic some people eat the traditional way with a, which is like pork beef and chicken some people only eat synthetic some people only eat insects some people is the future is here nick and it's scary yeah well i think that's a whole separate podcast of of what nanotechnology or what with advancements in modern science what the human race is going to look like and <laughs> how much of a twilight zone episode we're becoming yeah exactly but the real future i see with all this technology going into innovation into farming and, and food production is probably a mixture just like everything don't bet on one horse put your eggs in other baskets and such and such it's i see some market being the insects some market being fisheries some some market being shakes, it just continues and maybe 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 a hippo market that's legal and you know, where those hippos at. I do think uh the lab grown meat, synthetic meat, is gonna be pretty big. Like Tyson, the, the one of the big poultry producers, they're investing in uh lab grown meat. So I think that's gonna be the first one that we will see in our lifetimes. I, I agree with that statement. I agree with that statement. We might see everything, but I think first it's going to be that. And I think it's going to be easier to convince people to eat synthetic meat than it is insects, personally. Agreed. Completely agree with that statement. Probably even more. I'd say if I had to guess, I would go for ease of ease of eating, hippo, shakes, synthetic meat, algae, then insects. Really? I think I have it as synthetic meat, algae, no, synthetic meat, shakes, algae, crickets, hippos. I feel I might be a low man on the island with hippos there, Nick. 
I feel like hippos would be the easiest. I don't. I don't know. I feel people might because they're actual animal. Like they're not. You know, not that crickets are made up. <laughs> you know. Just, just kidding. This whole time, I don't believe crickets are. Crickets real. aren't real. It changed my mind. Uh, <laughs> well, they're just like birds, right? Uh, no, I think hippo is people to humanize them. I guess because we so. Uh, I guess for I'm mainly thinking of zoos in Europe and America. We think them as these, like the polar bear. Everyone thinks, you know, polar bear, like Coca-Cola, drinking from a bottle, cuddly little teddy bear, even though a polar bear would destroy and rip my head off. Well, what about, dude, what do they call hippo meat, right? Like, people love cows, but you don't call it cow meat, you call it beef. What do, do you know they call hippo meat hippo meat, or do they have another name for it? Like deer's venison kind of thing? I don't think. Because I feel like people are going to look at it and be like, oh, you know, probably, I don't know what it looks like. I imagine it looks a lot like freaking beef. Hippo meat, from what I know and doing my research, does not have specific name because hippo, people who eat hippo are usually smaller tribes or smaller towns and villages. So it's not a very universal thing. Uh, hippos for aren't really that eaten that commonly in Africa. My my major guess is because hippos are deadly as fuck. They're number one killer in Africa besides uh, mosquitoes. And so to truly eat them, I think we're going to have to breed out the violence out of them, much like we did with bulls and, and cows. So what would be, you know how like cows... Uh, and for bulls, you know, obviously you have rodeo, but in Spain they have like the running of the bull. Is there like a, a swimming of the hippos where you have to swim away from a, like the angry hippo? That's called living. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I don't think you realize how dangerous. If I had a choice to fight either a lion, oh, I know, or a hippo. I, I've, I've heard stories, but I don't know, like, oh god, purely comedic standpoint. Instead of cow tipping, of, uh, hippo rolling. <laughs> Well, that's not what you want to do. You want to, like, you're going to, no, no one's going to actually go up to a hippo, but people will run away from a hippo. Well, if if we, maybe, I don't think you can cross big pygmy hippos because they're a bit smaller and the, I think they're more docile than common hippos. It, you, and you can get Americans to eat hippos. You can never get Americans to eat pygmy hippos. We love tiny shit. They're not that That's tiny. why we have corgis and, I don't know, what other, elves. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Pig, pygmy hippos are like still heavy as hell. You underestimate the effect pygmy has on people. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. If we missed any food sources that you think might be a possible solution to the ever growing need to produce more food and simply transcend our species into a new direction please let us know on food sources you think are possible out of curiosity nick where could they tell us their ideas for different food sources you can find us on instagram and youtube and you can listen to us pretty much anywhere podcasts are but you find us on spotify for the most part oh no spotify apple music we're on everywhere from iheart to Google Podcasts. We are on, I think, every podcast source now, Nick. So, yay. And can they find us on Twitter? You cannot find us on Twitter. 
because Twitter is, in fact, dumpster fire. Oh, I love that every time. And I don't know what the future holds, but I can't wait to see it. Thank you all for listening. Whoa, 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 Mike. You're forgetting everything today, aren't you? I am. What am I forgetting? So first off, uh, I'm getting over a cold. (gasps) And I'm drinking a screwdriver because I want to be healthy. Second... I'm going to edit this shit out. (laughs) Second... I'm still reading my trilobite book, Mike. What are you reading? Uh, I'm still reading The Storm Before the Storm, which is uh, kind of how Rome became a, a powder keg, of which would eventually lead to the end of the Republic and Civil War. So it's kind of how we got to that point in Roman history. Sounds pretty interesting. Like, like we talked about in the Cincinnati episode, Rome was a huge influence on the founding United States, and all the history from that really went into building our nation. So it's probably important to understand what exactly went down there. It can never hurt to learn more. And uh, this might be getting a little bit too off topic. We can cut it out. Do we learn history so we don't repeat it? Or do we learn history so that when it inevitably is repeated, we can be on the right side? Probably both there, Nick. Probably both. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.